Hello, welcome to Love Food, Hate Money, the show where we talk about how much we love food and we prove it by spending all of our money on it. I am your host, Jonah, and this is co-host, Courtney. Hey. And it's still January and we're still not perfect, but we're still drinking sparkling water. Still drinking that sparkling water. The the Pellegrino in sheep's clothing, as it were. Honestly, I think it's delicious. I like a nice bubbly beverage every once in a while. It's fun. I like it because the... um, you throw a, dash, a little, little baby dash of Angostura bitters in mine, so it kind of tastes like warming warming spices. And it's 0.002% alcohol now. I'm such a bad boy. Oh, so spicy. Um, I was thinking, you tried some a new fast food item last night. I did. It was wonderful. I had, we were out and about, out in the town, as one is to do. And we went out to Whataburger, as one is to do when... You're out and about way when too late. When it's the only thing open. When it's funny, I the 24-hour fast food restaurants are. I appreciate them for what they are. They're always disappointing, but the people that work there are also just disappointed that they have to work there at 4 a.m. Exactly. So, so I appreciate them for their service. But I had their uh, their version of the famous bowl. Um, is a what a burger breakfast bowl. It was. Weird eggs and gravy and biscuit and bacon or sausage. I pick bacon because I don't really like the flavor of breakfast sausage usually. And it's hard to disagree. Yeah, I know you are your your breakfast sausage girl. Mm-hmm. I like mediocre fast food bacon personally. Ugh. Although Whataburger's bacon is fine. It was fine. Fine plus. Um, their gravy. Their gravy wasn't that bad, honestly. Yeah. The funny thing worse. about their gravy is that you can get it. Um, just in little packets and like dip your fries in it all the time. That's weird. I don't don't know who does that, that. but it's an option. Um, Don't go and get one, but not worth it. No. Or do if you're like really in the mood for that famous bowl experience, but you're at a Whataburger and not KFC. Yeah, just go to KFC. Yeah. That's the right play. It's the right play. We are going to go from talking about... (laughs) Our cheap food to our not cheap food. To our not cheap food. Back to where the rubber meets the ton and a relevant closing. May she rest in peace. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that all came up because we've been talking about recording this episode for a really long time. because It's, it's been in the works, but it's also been in like the memory banks because trying to remember to, things like, we did sort through some 10 years ago. Nine, I think, is what we figured out. Yes. Um, but having to kind of sift through some bad memories to get to the, (laughs) to what actually happened. And then in addition to that, I think it was your first Michelin star restaurant that you ever ate at too, right? Did we eat at a mosque before or both times after? Ooh, I don't remember. It was my first time being out of the country as an adult without my parents involved. (laughs) So that was an experience. Sure. So for a little background, um, Noma is, is soon to not be open. Um, but it In the way that we know it, but also it is a long time a coming. Thing. But anyways, it's a restaurant in Copenhagen, Denmark. Initially, yeah. Based out of. Based out of. That's their home base. Um, we went there in, in July of 2014. Mm-hmm. So when we were talking about doing this episode, there was a lot of like, well, what do you remember? What do you remember? And even still, we were arguing arguing about how many courses there were. 
So you're like convinced it was 23. I can literally only remember like 10 of them. Yeah. And that's just like so weird. Yeah. I think that that food memory is interesting because there was so much else going on alongside of it that I think a lot of it just got blurred out of like our memory banks just redacted information. I was pretty much having a panic attack the whole time we were there because of circumstances of why we were there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if we'll ever really tell that whole story. That's a behind the curtain Um, story that everyone can ask us and we will tell you. If you ask us, we'll tell you about it. But it was just, we were in a really toxic situation with a restaurant that we were both working at. And we ended up going on this trip. And um, most of the trip was really unpleasant. We had some really fun times. We have some good memories. But um, the circumstances of us eating at Noma were not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, which really affects the flavor which, of a meal. If you want to talk about food being <laughs> art and meals like that being art, try doing that when you're in the middle of a nervous breakdown because literally. you lose a lot of the colors and flavors of the art. Um, but we're going to do it. We're, we're going to give our best shake to talk about that experience <laughs> uh, redacted. Well, and it's so funny too, because like two hours before we ate there, I was emailing my mom trying to get a flight home. Yeah. And so, like, it was just, um, it's honestly kind of sad now to think about it. And I'm sure there are people be like, oh, you're just ungrateful. This whole episode is going to be Robert Burmese a ton. Check your privilege. Because we did get to do something. Absolutely. I want to talk about a little bit. We need to talk about the food and then we need to break down the actual them closing and thoughts on that. Yeah. So this may end up being two parts, two tons. <laughs> But we're, let's, we're two-parter episodes now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our... Uh, Welcome to our anthology it, series. I was about to say, this make us like a murder mystery podcast now where we've got like five-part episodes and whodunzits. <sighs> this one could be an episode of The Opportunist. I should submit the, the person in question. Big oof. <laughs> anyway, so lots of swirling around context, dark dark memories yeah. that jump into the eye of the storm or a little think- bit calmer. I think you have to talk about that because I think that when you, and this goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, is that like context is everything and being able to go in and enjoy the art. Like there's so many contributing factors to that. Mm-hmm. And you being on the edge of a mental breakdown, like obviously is going to make the food taste different. But anyways, we got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, we met Renee Redzepi briefly. I mean, you got to tour the kitchen. Yep, toured the kitchen. It looked like, the menu, <laughs> callbacks and call forwards. Wow. Like ten years what ago, a basic response. You know, ten years ago, that's what movie prop kit like. I, they pioneered their own style. <laughs> they quote pioneered their own cuisine. I will always <laughs> asterisk the idea of new Nordic cuisine being pioneering. Like at the time, taking ancient foraging techniques. And elevating them with modernist cooking like that and making guarms and ferments and all of that. Like that was something that I don't think was being done in the fine dining application at that level um, for a reason. <laughs> um, I kind of agree, but also kind of don't. Like I think what they were doing at the time was very forward thinking. Sure. In just the sense of they were looking around going, 
Yeah, like if we didn't import food, like the food in Denmark's kind of weird. Hey, let's show off how weird it is. And let's show off how weird it is. And I think that that's a cool concept of something that one of the ideas that I've talked about to you before mm-hmm. is this idea of what would countries' foods taste like if there was no imports. Right. And what that would look like. And I think he kind of did. I like how your ideas are a little bit. Um, uh, Problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, they're very anti-colonialism. So I'm actually just very forward thinking also. That's what gosh. <laughs> the razor thin lines of the same kind where anti-colonialism is also let's build a wall. Is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For me, like, I think you can look at like Japan as a good example. Yeah, isolationism. Because they, for, but it's funny because they embraced other cultures food like so hard as soon as they got access. They went hard in the paint with it. We're, I think it just goes to show you. We have you, controversial like, opinions on that though. We're like, again, we're talking about the razor thin lines of, oh, Japan just really appreciates everything. They kind of culturally appropriate everything too, but we. <laughs> but let, they do so good, guys. We just let it go. But they do it respectfully <laughs> and don't get flack for it. Like it's a real, there's thin lines and. I mean, you could get into Do what all you love, baby. The, the weird little nuance set. But anyways, I think Noma. that Noma <laughs> in its time was really forward thinking. Yes. They were forward thinking by looking so far back, though. And that's why I throw the asterisk on it. Well, it's, like, it's like a mix of things, right? Like you're looking at preservation methods, but you're also like deep frying moss, which would have not been. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They were definitely using ingredients around that would not have been consumed. But also... If, the, if ancient people didn't even consume it and they needed to do it to live, like just looking at the moss on the side of the road and be like, I bet that in ranch no. is going to be fire. Like 10 out of 10. That was actually one of the good dishes, though. No, the deep fried moss. I actually, you know what? I would buy deep fried talk moss. Talk shit, talk shit, dunk on it. <laughs> it was good. It was fine. It was great. No, I, I think that's one of the things, though, with this meal, where it's so hyper conceptual. The, the execution, like, whether you like it or not, is a high form of art. It's like what we talked about in the last episode where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it might be one of the worst bites of food you've ever had in your life. But it, they also know. spent 800 hours yeah. making it. And so it's still cool and worth it. It's still a part of the art and the experience and everything that goes into it. Exactly. You want to know one funny thing, though? And I think it is because of how redacted all my memories are of that time. Yeah. I don't remember the restaurant. Oh, I do. It was beautiful. I remember it just being dark. It looked like an Ikea. (laughs) Yeah. I remember it being like a darker, moody Ikea. Lots of lines. But that was literally every building in in Denmark, Copenhagen. Like that area was just like clean lines and wood. Like Like a slate, gray... And open air. And I remember it like big windows and a lot of natural lights. So they'd have a lot of lights in the dining room. Um, it was really beautiful. It was a great space. Interesting. I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that you remember that. I I'm sure we can look up pictures if you'd like to see it. Well, that was the other funny. thing too, is um This makes this also we only have maybe three or four pictures from that meal because we were expressly told by one of the people we were dining with that we were not allowed to take photos and one person at our table was designated as the photographer. Um granted he was a really good photographer and still is still and like he's very well known now and does an excellent job. But the whole the whole thing is like, man, if I had those pictures, 
my brain would work. I would be able to connect those m- memories real fast. It was oh. a funny thing where we were. But we were children. Reason, well, we were children and we're also doing this uh, t- tangently from the menu ep- episodes because like it's very closely related. Like the two concepts are intertwined like that movie in this restaurant. And also that we were uh, like three of the different archetypes simultaneously there where we yeah. were we were the one percenters that like we can't remember it now, which it doesn't feel great. No. Um, and again, I, I do contribute some of that to just like it was so dark for us. It was very traumatic. <laughs> um, Let's but, but their food was all interesting and a lot of it was stuff where I'm like, I'm glad that I don't have to have this again. <laughs> Which is unfortunate to say, but... I think it was a very big learning experience. Because at the time, you were 18. I was 19. Going on 19. And we... I was still in culinary school. Like, mm-hmm. I think I was on, like, summer break from culinary school. Yeah. And... And um, I was on... You were working in the restaurant full-time. I Yeah, I had just, just graduated, graduated high school. school. And so there's this build-up of, it's the number one restaurant in the world. This is the peak of cuisine. This is the peak of technique. And I think we were so just, like, starstruck by this idea. We got to the pinnacle, and then... Well, you... And then you go, and you're like, oh. Like, this is... This is what it is. And that's not to say that it was bad or like it was bad, but I think it really like changed our perspectives and our perceptions of it's what fine tra- dining. Well, and it also, I think, truly shaped who it, it was. It shaped who we are as people because of so many facets, but also even just like the love, food, hate, money, like this entire concept and our sort of mantra of how we approach things. We could look back at that and say that's kind of where it started. Like we always, like we had been together for a while at that, like a little over a a year at that point, or close to a year. Yeah, was it even a year at that? Two thousand. We started dating in August of the previous year, so So we hadn't even been dating a year yet. We were engaged, but we didn't have. (laughs) That's a story. Anyways, (laughs) religion. Um, (laughs) This is so. We had uh, we met in culinary school. We liked to eat and do stuff, but that was the the you. I think I could pretty easily look at that and say, yeah, that's the first time that we looked at our wallets and said, <laughs> not die. We're gonna we're gonna eat this food. We're gonna spend that coin. Yeah, um, if I remember correctly, that meal was about seven hundred and fifty dollars for the both of us. I think we didn't do full wine pairing. I think we just had a few glasses of wine because yeah. we were at legal drinking age in Denmark. Um, and I remember my card didn't go through, and so we sat in the restaurant for an extra thirty minutes with me emailing my mom to get her to log into my bank account. To get everything sorted so that we could pay for the meal. Mm-hmm, and we were just, having an issue with like internet connectivity and a whole slew well, of other things. Well, just being international and my debit card kept being like, oh, you're in Denmark. I'm you like, I here. called you and I told you I was going to be in Denmark. Um, so it was just the whole thing was kind of an uncomfortable experience. But it is really where I think we realized our love for uh, the game. <laughs> The thrill I mean, of the chase. And it's not even that, like, the food was life-changing. Like, it was interesting. But I think it's this 
it's the idea as a whole and it's like the art. Yeah, we were there and we got to experience and it, it changed our perspective on food, money, art form. Food is an art form, the restaurant industry as a whole. I mean, I got to tour the kitchen there. So that was interesting. Like, uh, this is how this is done, um, which is f- funny and sad now uh, looking back at it, because there's lots that could be said um, about the way that things have been done there and were done there and the fact that they are closing uh, the lack of sustainability um, in that facet of the industry. And I think that's worth noting that like that's something that we saw we saw writing on the wall in that yeah. back then and it's been going on for years now so it's interesting right and i think to reading articles even you know over the last 5 or 6 years about the abuse that has gone on in that restaurant and how it mirrors the abuse that we've experienced in the industry really like puts into perspective that it doesn't matter how many awards you win or how great you are. It's still a bunch of flawed people running a restaurant at the end of the day. And like, Mm -hmm. nobody should be put on a pedestal of that level. It's not worth it. Yeah. Don't, don't have heroes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But as far as the food goes, like we were, we actually made a list of like what we did remember um, eating there. The 10 Um, things. So we talked about the fried moss. Fried moss. But do you remember what the dippy was on that? The dippy was good too. I don't think it had a dip. I think it was just no. You didn't dip it. It had powder on it. It was like chips. Was it just crunch? Crunch. Remember crunch and a dippy? No, the dip was the scallop fudge with the cucumbers. Um, (laughs) I don't even remember how they made. I remember them talking to us about how they made that and being (laughs) guys. If anybody ever offers you scallop fudge, I just you know what? It's brace for impact. It's not for me. Okay. It's yeah. And it's the same way I feel about, you know, other types of fudge that have ingredients that shouldn't be in there. Scallop fudge, <laughs> chocolate fudge. Um so that one was was real interesting. Chocolate fudge. I, I don't know why I said chocolate fudge. That's a, chocolate that, fudge is that good. is normally how fudge is made. <laughs> Um and I want to say the cucumbers on that dish also was like our first introduction to ants. And it's a, Was it that one or was it the I remember the no, tartar. No, the tartar had it, but they also had it on a cucumber dish. <laughs> Yeah. But you couldn't see the ants. We were like, oh, like, what is this, like, pop of citrus? Like, oh, why is my mouth tingling? This is not great. Um, That's the poison working. That was the ants. <laughs> um, I believe they're from Brazil, if I'm not mistaken. The chef, again, this is Noma, so everything was, I'm pretty sure it was local ants. No. I no? Did so. they import them? I'm it, pretty it, sure. Hmm. I don't think they were local ants. I am almost positive that they were importing those from South America. Interesting. I well, we can we'll argue about this one. Well, because the, they told a story, um, and I can't remember if you were here for that or if that was during the tour. But they had a chef from Brazil that had grapefruit for the first time and said it tasted like ants <laughs> because he had had the ants but hadn't had a grapefruit, and so it was like the perspective shift where they were like, "Oh, we can use them this way." All right. Well, I guess we have to look into ants now, guys. That's part of our next set of research. Um, this we- is a bug podcast now. It's skin with skin crawling with Courtney and Jonah. What just flew in my face? Yuck. Um, we had a fresh cherry and shaved, like fermented turbo. Turbo row. Turbo row, but it was done in the style of um, 
Botarga. Yes. Yeah. It was, that dish was funky. Funky. Like, the cherries were great if you ate around them. <laughs> it was a lot of fermenty fishy things, and that's just not it's what just you not consume regularly. And it was jarring flavors. But I tell you what, like, I don't regret eating any of it simply because you learn right like there's there's it was all very uh experimental anyway like you knew that going in and then you go "Mm, this experiment doesn't work for me yeah i still appreciate it i agree i don't have to like something to appreciate it Mm -hmm. that's how we've been married for so long (laughs) (laughs) that's science baby (laughs) Um, there was the sorrel and shrimp dish. Little baby scrums. And it lo- these like raw little tiny shrimps were like inside these like lily pad looking things in a broth. <laughs> that was really fun. That one was good. That one I, tasted good. I, I remember, remember that one. enjoying that. Um, we had the raw beef with ants on it. I think you have a picture of that actually on your Instagram. I'm pretty, yeah. So we'll use that as the background for this episode. I like how it's my Instagram. Anyone that wants to at me on Instagram, it's at giftsorp. Yeah, you haven't been on that. I haven't checked on that. I think the last picture you posted on there is like the floor from one of the places in the mall in Denmark that says sex me up. (laughs) (laughs) And it holds up. (laughs) It's funny. Um, We had the elderflower with the cured egg yolk and local potato and like a butt ton of elderflowers. A lot of little elderflowers. Not a fan of elderflower, it turns out. They yeah, it was funny because there was that dish and then there was the tart with all the flowers on it. I remember that tart because I remember it coming out and being like, that's a lot of flowers. That was the moment that I became disenchanted with edible flowers. <laughs> and it was in that moment. Um He's, he hasn't been the same since. My favorite bite of that meal, um, and I think it was maybe the third or fourth thing they brought us was the pickled and smoked quail egg. Yeah. That was my favorite too. That phenomenal. was phenomenal. That oh was my god, life changing. But it's funny looking back on that now. That flavor in one bite is more or less what I like about ramen. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a perfect. It was smoky and rich egg. and bright and like it was. It's funny now, having had that almost ten years ago, and then having the appreciation for quality ramen now. Or I'm like, no, there's like a distinct parallel between. Mm-hmm texture flavor with that specific item yeah um and then the last one i was able to remember is they for one of the dessert courses it was like a like a green broth thing like a nasturtium broth and then they had a rose made out of sliced rhubarb um and one person in the kitchen's whole job was it i thought that was a beet rose it was rhubarb Interesting. You literally saw them prepping it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's fair. Um. Anyways. So... I, I should remember all of it better, but again, trauma. Yeah. So basically that was the meal as we remember it. Um, the service was great. Atmosphere was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The food was super interesting. And like a lot of it was really good. And some yeah. of it was really weird. That didn't take away from the experience. It didn't make it bad. No, it still... At the time, it was a two Michelin starred restaurant. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was probably the nicest, like, full food meets art thing that I had had. But I do think I vaguely recall us both being like, 
a burger would be nice. For you. We did eat afterwards. Yeah. No, we went and uh, we went to that coffee shop and had pastries. I don't know if you remember that, but. Mm, nope. Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. We were hungry afterwards. Um, which, that's, again, that's fine. Yeah. We're also not small people. <laughs> you know, that's. And also, you don't, I don't think, and this kind of, again, leans back to the menu, but we didn't go there to eat. We went there to taste. Yeah. And that's, again, I but think we that's got that... more than we. <laughs> well, it's this expectation of, oh, well, you're going and you're having a meal. Like, yeah, you are. And like, sometimes you're going to go to those restaurants and you're going to be full after. Like, we've definitely had those meals. Like, at Kai, I'm full after we go there. When I mm-hmm. ate at Liberton, and I was full after. Um, Conda, same thing. Like, yeah. There are those restaurants, but also at the same time, like, you're not there to go get, like, stuffed. It's, it's not Old Town Buffet or uh, old, old Country Buffet. It's not Golden <laughs> country Corral. Country Town Buffet. Yeah. Country Town Buffet's got lemonade, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, so that that was, was what we remember of Noma. That we had. Um, but I think one of the things that's been really interesting. And it's also our villain origin story. It is our villain origin story. Um, with the article coming out and the announcement that Noza, Noza. <laughs> that's a yogurt brand, I think. <laughs> the Noma will be closing in 2024. Um, it's so interesting because it's like what you said is a lot of the articles cite the fact that it's not sustainable. People don't want to eat like that. It, and it was the articles and the article are quoting right that be are just like, this isn't sustainable. And it took him probably too many years to realize what was going on at that restaurant was not was not best for humanity. Well, so you, what you have to really get into is the fact that the time that we ate there, that was mostly unpaid interns who were paying their way to live in Denmark, which is a very expensive place to live mm-hmm. for at least three months to work 15 hours a day for free. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and that uh, not that didn't necessarily include like, the Noma in uh, externship, whatever that program was, they would help you with your work visa to get into the right, country. Right, and that was but basically that was, that was a, all a family did. meal, maybe. Um, which, in my opinion, is exploitative labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at what it would cost to pay all of those people a living wage, mm-hmm. you cannot run a restaurant that way. That way, that perfect, that... Yeah. You don't make enough money. You can't. You couldn't and, make enough money. And they started to. And uh, if anyone's interested and is subscribed to New York Times, <laughs> go read their article because it talks. It gives the exact number. Um, but they did eventually start paying them. What was it like? An additional fifty thousand a month? It, yeah, in labor it cost? was a labor cost that a restaurant can't offset with the margins that they were at. Like they would have had to start charging. $2,000 a person for the meals to sustain at that level with that many people on staff executing those things. Well, and I think what's interesting about that to me is there's already this complaint that these things are too expensive. But personally, if other people are making a living wage and I'm paying what it's worth, if I can afford it, it's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And, I and understand- that's the other thing where you're, those experiences, they're not for us. They're not for everyone. They're not for everyone because they're, they're not at a cost that aren't to be. Yeah, and they're at a cost that it's just not realistic. Like, would love for everyone to be able to have that experience and go do that thing, but to do that, it costs two thousand dollars unless you're unless you're willing to take advantage of someone that chef that's salaried that has worked 
120 mm-hmm. hours that week is the reason that you can have this meal at $200 a person. And it's really hard if you were to sit down as a diner, look the chef in the eye and be like, your time is worth $1 an hour to me. That's the only way that this works. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You would, like if you can't, if you can't go to your local chef and, and say that to their face without feeling like a piece of shit, mm-hmm. like that's, that's the reality. Well, and I think that's where you have to look at things and you go, I value your art. I can't afford your art. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason that we'll never own fine pieces of art in our house mm-hmm. is because it is not in our income bracket. And you could argue, well, it should be more affordable. It should be more obtainable. Sure, that's great. That's why artists sell prints of things. That's why they sell your entry-level stuff. But that's not always something that people can do. And I think that's where you have to look at those high-end restaurants and go, yeah, only the 1% can afford them because otherwise the people who are working there don't get to live. Mm-hmm. And I I also want to acknowledge that we have had a very distinct privilege in being able to afford some of these experiences. Absolutely. And I, I understand that there are tons of people who would love to do that and have not had the opportunity. But I think at the end of the day, you're not missing out because there are so many other opportunities to eat really incredible food if what you're that interested doesn't cost a thousand dollars for a meal. Right. There are sustainable ways where people can have a restaurant and make a living and make you great food that you're going to be super happy with. And it's not necessarily going to have the pageantry. It's just different. It's just different. And that's okay. Well, I think also there's a really interesting conversation going on in Phoenix food market specifically about how much are people willing to pay for a tasting menu? Because there is a restaurant. <laughs> we've, we've gotten into We've gotten into some really interesting conversations and we've overheard some really interesting conversations about what are you willing to pay? Mm -hmm. Because people may be willing to pay $400 for a tasting menu in New York or Chicago, but in Phoenix, they're probably not willing to pay that. Yeah. And so there's also this other part of, it's almost like an elitism thing Mm -hmm. of like certain cities are allowed to charge more because of who they are. Right. Like $600 for a tasting menu in New York. I get that. But here in Phoenix, it's like, okay, but if that's how much it costs to do it here in Phoenix, like just because we're not New York City doesn't mean we're still not one of the largest cities in the United States. Right. So, I mean, you can get, you can deep dive this for hours, but I just, it's so interesting. A lot to unpack. Where people put value. Mm -hmm. People value the idea of being in New York City more than being in Metro Phoenix. Right. Or even the idea of I have been on a wait list for six months. I spent $1,200 to fly to another country halfway around the world. Yeah. I'm spending eight grand to be here for a week. Mm-hmm. This meal is everything. Yeah, it becomes you make it what it is. Right. You put the value through in. your own experience. Yeah. This is where we become a really deep. Sub, what is subjective versus objective podcast? <laughs> Just, <laughs> well, it's like I, we've let's break down on the morals, before, but it's like what is value? And I, I how much you're literally willing to spend on something? That's all a dollar is. That yeah. is what you value. Love, food, hate, money. We had a great conversation with someone the other day that was talking about how like money is temporary, anyway, and like obviously like you should do your best to like have a roof over your head and have food on your table and like all that. And like everything else is extra, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you're not taking it with you. Once you, once you're gone, you're gone. Right. And so it's really more about deciding which experiences in your life 
are the ones that you really want to strive for. Sure. And for some people, it is eating at the number one restaurant in the world. And for some people, it's not. And not, one is not better than the other. Unless it's giving to charity. And then obviously, you're morally better than everybody else. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, we we're just going to do an extended cut because there's not too much to talk about on the Noma closure. Yeah. Um, I think that my, so the New York Times article is one of the first ones that I saw. I expended my free read of a New York Times article this year, and then I closed the window, and now lots of great information is left in the abyss. But they're they're shutting down in 2024, um, citing how unsustainable it was, work practices, XYZ. Um, They're switching to just being an experimental test kitchen and then pop-ups and that experimental side, like you can go on and right now and order a couple different like mushroom guams and products, which I think is smart because it's adapting something that they already do really well. And if they can execute some of those things at a high enough level on uh, with enough volume, then it can help certain facets of the higher end dining industry continue because you're there eating that labor cost that would have right. taken a smaller restaurant, taking up a, a good amount of their space to work a hundred hours on this one product. Like they're, they're eating that cost. Well, and as a business practice, it's smarter to do direct to consumer when most of your consumers are traveling internationally to have your product. Mm-hmm. So if you can send it directly to them, saves everybody time and money. Saves everybody. The one that is, the one article that is consistently free, though, is from Eater. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, by Jaya Sashena or Sixena. I'm going to mispronounce that name, but I put in the old co- college try. Uh, article, ar- article, that's mm-hmm. the word, Worse. is titled, You Were Never Going to Go to Noma Anyway. <laughs> and it it... It says a lot of good things. It talks about the history of the restaurant, their five-day residencies in Brooklyn, that American Express cards comped the meal, and yada, yada. Uh, let's see. There was a couple things that um, really stood out. It talked about, again, Renzeppi acknowledging that unpaid labor is not sustainable financially or emotionally. Uh, <laughs> it's what he's quoted saying to the New York Times. Um it acknowledges what it did. Uh, it references influenced influenced global cuisine so much. It is not because of uh, the next. They hope the next time that something influences global cuisine so much, it's not because of fanaticism around a, a singular supposed genius or the rigidity of its philosophy. Mm. And at one point, a Danish newspaper described it, and there's a link to it here. Um, but the direct quote from that Danish newspaper was, "It is fascism and avant-garde clothing because it models some sort of." Uh, Oh, that was the end of the quote. Sorry. But it because it models some sort of sustainability, both environmentally and labor. Like the this article is saying, we want this next global takeover, this next thing that's really going to pioneer this food and beverage industry to be good for the planet, good for people like right. as a whole versus like, oh, we've discovered something that is causing people to have mental breakdowns. And it is technically good for the planet. Like, I don't right. think anything that Noma did was not sustainable because the entire idea was sort of forging the surroundings unless they were stripping their surroundings bare, but that's a, it's a whole different thing. No, I think the, uh, one of the big shifts in the industry is getting to that point of being 
holistic and fully sustainable and not just from an environmental perspective, but from a people perspective, mm-hmm. which you could argue like they feed into each other, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think there's been such a long time where people have been so undervalued in work practices mm-hmm. um, that if we don't make that shift, what are we saying? Yeah. It go ahead. We're not saying anything nice. Exactly. Um, One of the other things I think you told me about from the article, because I also tried to pull up the New York Times one and my phone said, you've already read all your articles for the month. So, Look, we're just big New York Times fans. We get our our one a month. We love food and hate money. We don't love the New York Times and hate money. So (laughs) anyways, um, but you were talking about also how people were going there thinking they were going to learn to cook. Yes. Um, And how when you get to that type of restaurant, it's all like it's almost not cooking anymore. You're working on a production line. Like if you want to cook at those restaurants at that level with some of the things that they do at that point, you're just a factory worker circa American 1950 (laughs) where you put the thing in, you take the thing out, you put the thing in, you take the thing out and there's no thoughts, just vibes. Well, and I think you also told me, too, like, the one woman that was interviewed was, like, told she wasn't allowed to laugh. And, like, it was a silent kitchen. Silent kitchen. No laughing. Um, That would drive me crazy. Yeah. Mentally, it would be exhausting. And I get, like, wanting to be quiet and focused. But, like, it's dehumanizing. Right. Well, especially, like, to put those strict rules around it when it's literally, like, just you and your coworkers. You're not in front of a guest. Mm-hmm. You're not in front of, like, especially on the prep side. not a weird facade of, like, composure, but you're just, like, doing yeah, a chef, very, we love you, chef. <laughs> you're doing a very repetitive task, and you just have to do it and over just do the task. And over for hours and hours until you, until you get it right. And at the time, some people were doing that for free, and that's really crazy. Yeah, I think they're specifically, and you saw TikTok that recently that had it on that had, someone had that had went to Noma. Twenty eighteen uh, is twenty eighteen. Yeah. The yep. Yeah, the dish uh, being mentioned is is funny to me. It's a. It's it cute. Was, it was. It's cute. It's a little beetle in a box, but it was made a jewel uh, beetle. Little jewel beetle made out of a patafui or fruit leather. It's a fruit. It was a fruit leather. Yeah. Um, very so, cool. It looks super awesome. cool. My thought on that, and this is going to be controversial. Ooh, um, hot takes. <laughs> I don't see any value in that. Having someone fill in a mold and do that and do it that exact. I have a closet full of Black Forest gummy bears <laughs> that are same, same, if not better. Like it is a it is an animal shaped jelly that is delicious. And I don't think anyone could convince me otherwise of like, oh, it's worth more because a person had to use tweezers to make it look exactly like this beetle. Yeah, but it wasn't worth them doing it for eight hours a day to the point where they were like. My life has no meaning. <laughs> I will say because it's something that a machine can do. The idea that it's handcrafted, like I, Ooh, I don't I, get into that with me because I do think there should be more value assigned to handmade items. But I agree with that. But if it's a handmade item where it's a mold and you're just the one filling the mold and then taking it out of the mold and doing that, like that is that's where I think machines are truly beneficial to society. <laughs> My closet full of gummy bears agree. <laughs> Um, I do think it was a beautiful piece of art. Um, 
But yeah, I think if that's your only job and you have to do that day in and day out for months on end, like, yeah, I'd probably also want to be like, "Mm, that'll be all for me. Like, I'm not crazy and I'm I'm crazy and a little unwell. But I think it's also funny, like you point out the repetitiveness. I think most industry jobs are repetitive, though. Like if you look at bakeries, they're making bread every day. That's what they do. Right. There's some beauty in that art because of doughs are different every day because it's an act it's alive technically so that stuff i've and i value a lot of that but i'm talking specifically that beetle makes you angry that beetle (laughs) makes me angry because they put so much effort and value into filling molds with a fruit leather i.e gummy bear materials (laughs) assembling it by hand and being like we've done it this is the pinnacle of cuisine like but it's a it's a really wildly labor-intensive gummy beetle you made, and it, it just and it's it's literally not sustainable. The restaurant is shutting down because that's not that's you can't charge enough money to convince people that handmade handmade beetles <laughs> beetles are are worth a thousand dollars. Sure. Well, I think it's also worth pointing out that during the pandemic, which was obviously <laughs> a really rough time, callbacks for. All restaurants, but they understood that they had to pivot so far that they became a burger pop-up, which is funny, obviously, as we've been talking about the menu for the last two weeks, um, because a burger is like the the burger climax is of the, the movie. It's the climax. It's the saving grace. It's the true joy. It's the only joy. The last joy. <laughs> the great joy. Okay, chill. <laughs> um, and so understanding also on some Even they level, were aware. That like... Man, people got to just eat normal food sometimes too. And that's more sustainable long-term. It's more sustainable to do this normal food really, really well and give the give the people what they want, burgers to go. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting to see what they've done with the pop-ups. I um, am personally a really big fan of the book that um, Redzepi had a hand in, um, part of his it's called the MAD conference. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I think MAD is like eating in Danish or something uh, like that. Let me look it up real fast because it's something that he. Um... Um, but it was a conference he was putting together. And then they did have a book come out called uh, We All Eat the Same. Um, and I have to say that book was very influential in the curriculum that I wrote for the cooking class that I taught last year. Um, and I think that the Noma and Renee have done a lot that has been very beneficial um, and very forward thinking in the industry. Mm-hmm. But I think to get really the full picture, you have to see the good and the bad. Yeah, I agree. I can't find it at the Mad Symposium. It's just something that's been put together. Uh, I don't think they're doing Zeppi. it anymore. I think it stopped pre-pandemic, but I would imagine. I love how it's been just the descriptions of this is Circle Wiki. So take that with a <laughs> grain of malt on salt. Uh, it's a mashup of Ted, Burning Man, and South by Southwest and the foods and the food world G20. That's such a funny Ooh. way to describe anything. Well, now it's cringe. I don't like it anymore. Food South by Southwest. Love it. But And I think you also have to look at, specifically with Noma, what some of the people who worked there have gone on to do. Um I don't know how to pronounce Dan's last name correctly. It's like Giusti or Giusti. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's gone on to like try to pioneer revolutionizing school lunches. Right. And he does not have anything to do with fine dining anymore. Like that his passion is actually like this is meaningful to me. Like mm-hmm. this is food that has a purpose. 
Yes. And the work that he's doing is really fantastic. And it's inspired a lot of other people to do stuff in their communities. And I think, you know, a lot of times people get caught up in the name of the chef who runs the restaurant Mm -hmm. and don't pay enough attention to the other people who are there doing the labor, doing the work and what they go on to do with that knowledge. Yeah, they, it was either the Eater article or it might have been the New York Times one that in part of its acknowledgement of, yes, this is the end of an era, the Noma alum mm-hmm. is arguably more important because those are the people that are actually going back out into the world and bringing experiences to people in hundreds of different ways. Oh, and so the we, philosophy even, which I think is probably one of the highlights of the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know that you can necessarily look at them and be like, it was just a restaurant. I think you have to look at it as a philosophy and a concept and it's a much bigger animal. Right. It was, it was, it is and was new Nordic. It was its own thing. It was its own beast. Yeah. And it changed, it changed the world in its own way. Right. And it shaped our worldview in a way. And so it is important because of that. Right. <sighs> on that note <laughs> there's so much to unpack time today. to go eat a cheeseburger yeah we need a burger um what do you think too like i'm sure a lot of people listen to this and be like oh this is like kind of negative and it's like well i think when you look at things through a critical lens like that like sometimes the the dark does outweigh the light and i don't think that that's intrinsically bad i think it's just reality mm-hmm um, because obviously like we've mentioned a few like really cool things and like it has shaped us and I think it gave us perspective that we needed. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's deeply impactful. And we're just two people of the millions of people that have fired to of looked at, connected to work yeah. funder, work for work sideways, the lateral connections. It's a bit, it's the biggest and smallest industry now with mm-hmm. the internet where it's at. And just how connected we are. Yeah. Well, and the value of it, too. I think, you know, for some people, it benefited them in positive ways. And for some people, it was not. Mm-hmm. And I think we've also, we've known both both people. Yeah. We've seen what the obsession and the, um, you know, passion can also be ne- like a negative <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too passionate. You ever see a friend get too fired up and be like, "Whoa, you're coming in a little too hot." Yep, it's that. Yeah. The fanaticism of it, where it's like, "Ooh, okay, that's a little crazy," or a lot crazy. It's a lot crazy, and it leads to breaking points, and it leads to these internal reckonings. Like, we'll call back to the menu, but that's literally what that movie's about. <laughs> is is the, the, I think the timeline is funny. I it honestly, the timeline on it makes it seem like Rizepi watched that movie and was like. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like it's it me. Uh-huh. It's me as a baby. Is it, that's if he just watches Fianis's character and is like, "That's me as a baby." <laughs> just <laughs> and like, there's too many factors for that to be the to be it. But you could say that, and I would be like, "Yeah, well, duh." <laughs> <laughs> no, you think it's just? I think one of the food trends that maybe we should have predicted for 2023 is another big reckoning. And another big realization of like, what is going to work from now on? And what changes do we have to make now in the industry to continue to how improve? do we make How do we make everything better? Yeah. 
And if you're not trying to make things better, if your goal is just to run your restaurant and mistreat your people, I don't think you're going to last. We think people are getting to the point now where they just don't want to see that anymore. And I think that's exciting, but I think it's a long road. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's go out and make the world a better place, everyone. Thanks for listening to our trauma dump. Thank you for listening to Love, Food, Hate, Money. This podcast is edited by John Watkins of Feather Fiction Studios. You can find us on most social media platforms at Love, Food, Hate, Money. And you can send your hate emails to us at hello at lovefoodhatemoney.com. Uh, hit us up if you want a t-shirt, some stickers, poster. We've got it. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye. Bye. I made a mess. <laughs> <laughs>